Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. It's a beautiful Sunday, and I'm walking through my neighborhood in Brooklyn as I think about the best way to introduce my guest today and this episode in general. At the very beginning of my process with the podcast, there were so many reasons why I wanted to do it. Some of you who've been listeners for a long time know that out of the blue, a friend approached me with this idea, and I had just seen a life coach for the first time in my life, and part of my conversation with her ended with us agreeing that I was going to say yes to anything that did not harm me or my family physically, emotionally, or financially, and thus the podcast was born. But before I started interviewing my incredibly talented friends who were artists of great success, and I wanted to share them with you in a very different and intimate way, I realized I needed to do a test run. I'd never done a podcast before where I was the interviewer. I'd been lucky enough over the years to often be the subject of an interview, but I thought, wait a minute, now I'm on the other side of the table. So my dear friend, the remarkable Eduardo Braniff, who you will get to know in this episode, who has done many things in his lifetime, has had many chapters, and Every single thing he decides to do ends up being incredibly successful because he is a very gifted, creative human. Eduardo agreed to sit down with me and kind of be the guinea pig for my first time sitting in the booth. And part of what was going on for me at that time was I was feeling very schizophrenic. I was acting eight times a week in a show where I had a family And then I would come home every night to my real family, and I was just confused. I know this sounds insane. Obviously, as actors, our jobs are to go on stage, take the script, fulfill the writer's dream of who these characters are and the story they want to tell, and share that experience with an audience, and then go home and be with your real family. But... The amount of time I was spending on stage with my beautiful fake family and then the amount of time I was home with my real family, I was just having a moment in my life where it was really hard to do both at the same time. 
And so another reason why I wanted to do this podcast, it was an opportunity to be really creative and tell a whole new kind of story, but not feel like I was betraying my actual real family at the same time. The good news is since then, this many episodes in, I've fallen in love with podcasting, and I've also realized that I'm quite capable of acting and understanding where the job ends and real life begins, and have a newfound love and passion for acting that was born out of, I guess, walking away from it for a moment. And now my jobs have been so fulfilling and so happy-making And doing this podcast remains an incredible, creative gift and joy in my life. All of this leads me to share that I didn't even know if I would ever use this episode. And recently, I was going through old files, and there it was, my very first time in a podcast booth, headphones, microphone, and guest. And it was Eduardo Braniff, and he's such a uniquely gifted human that even though I don't know that I was my best interviewer, he was one of my best interviews. So I bring you Eduardo Braniff, and uh, have a great day. Hi. Hi. I'm Alana Levine. This is my podcast, and today I have one of my dear friends, who I adore, Eduardo Braniff. You have been in business for a long time doing different things. Is that right? That's true. Would you say that's fair to say you were a TV executive? You were a publisher. You were a branding expert. One of the reasons, aside from all the amazing things that you've done that I wanted to talk to you today, is that after having this incredibly successful life doing this very other thing, you have decided to explore the world of life coaching. Yep. Would you call it life coaching? Life coaching, or I, I talk about what I do within the coaching world as outcome coaching. So that's amazing. OC. OC. I'm the OC. You are the OC. So I'm going to tell you why I'm interested in that personally in a meta sort of way. And then I want to talk about it in a more... This is what's happening in our world, the zeitgeist of how people are kind of moving through the world right now. Is that cool? So I am going to give a teeny bit of my own resume, which is that I, for the last 20 years, again, remarkable at 28, was an actress and a producer. And I mostly acted and had kind of a very nice moment in my career on Broadway. And then I got to be on television. And then I got to do some films. And then I got to produce film. And toward the end of this career, I met my husband and I had children. And I continued to act. And in my acting life, I would often have husband and children cast opposite me. And I started, unlike other people who found it very fluid to go back and forth between their acting lives and their home lives, I found it really confusing. Because when I was at work, I really loved the guy who was playing my husband. And I thought the kids were my kids, (laughs) because that's my job. Is that method acting? It was just 
how I felt. Like I was very lucky that I was mostly cast opposite like incredibly adorable, charming, smart men. And the kids were adorable. And the script was written for us. So whatever hard stuff was happening during the play, by the end, it was great. At the end of the movie, like we both turned around at the same time and walked towards each other and it all worked out. And then I'd get home after being all day on a set or at work with a man that I loved and my kids that I loved to my husband and kids that I loved. And unlike other people who are like, it's great because at work, my job is to like make out with this. I was like, this is very confusing to me. It all felt real. Mm -hmm. And I was exhausted when I would get home to my real husband and child because I had been with my husband and children all day. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to keep circling around this crazy notion, but it made acting weirder and weirder. And I realized that I wanted to find something in my life where I could continue to have the community that I loved so much and a creative outlet. But for me, and this may change, the acting thing was getting very weird. So usually in my life, when I was having an issue, people would be like, you should go back to therapy, which was kind of a common, like, what's blocking you? Why can't you have this duality in your life like a normal person? But that's not what they were saying anymore. They were saying, you need to talk to my life coach. She's amazing. It's amazing. And I was introduced to a life coach. Her name is Dawn. And I have found my sessions with her to be remarkable because there is a therapeutic aspect to it because it's this incredibly intimate relationship. What's interesting to me is she can apply what she does to Wolfgang Puck. She can apply it to me. She can apply it to like a book publisher. She can apply it to, you know, someone who has one hardware store and wants to open up 20 of them. Like it's kind of amazing that her skill set can work no matter what it is that you're trying to do. But I guess what I wanted to talk to you about is what is happening in our culture right now that there is now, you can go to college and study life coaching. It's a major. They offer accredited classes for it. Why is this something that is making so many people happy to do and so many people happy to go to? And what made you change what you've been doing to pursue this? You know, I think the thing that is the zeitgeist about it is that coaching has come into so many aspects of our lives, our business, our teaching as a useful tool to help people hold themselves accountable to what they want to accomplish in their lives. The therapeutic piece is an interesting one because in therapy, you're looking backwards to figure out what's holding you from going forward. As coaches, we kind of already believe that you are naturally resourceful, creative, and whole. And all we're doing is advocating you moving forward. And we live in a world in a time where the speed of forward gets faster and faster and faster by the minute. And I think in part, people don't have the time or the energy or after a certain age have already done the work of looking backward, that they just want to get on with it. And the stuff that happened in the back, you could still explore and it's relevant, but people are getting antsy to, to keep moving. So younger people, those millennials who've been 
coddled and had everything at their disposal want these coaches to help them through, you know, showing up at work and wanting a medal. Mm -hmm. Then you have people sort of in their 40s who have come out of one or two children and the kids are sort of more on their way and they're looking at the available time and the available time they now have, but also the the sort of lessening time that they have looking forward. And there's a sense of urgency. And going into sort of older generations, people are looking for that, I don't want to say last moment of fulfillment, but, you know, just give it another college try on something that they find compelling. And that compelling thing can be a project, a career transition, a relationship change, whether romantic or or amicable. Right. And try new things. So what happened to the role of our friends. That used to be my friends. I'd have a problem and I would go to my friends because at this point they're smart and all of them have kind of succeeded or many of them have succeeded in their given career. So why do we need uh, a professional person to help boost us when we're down or focus us as opposed to, well, why can't we do it for ourselves? It's all in there, right? So why can't we do it for ourselves? I mean, I think that question applies to so many aspects of our lives. Why can't we do it for ourselves? Right. And I'd also answer, why should we do it by ourselves? I mean, we're not put on this planet to be alone and isolated. So to the question about why can't we do it with our spouse, our partner, our friends, I think there's a, a little bit of they have their own lives to get on with, as well as the fact that they come to any relationship with some level of of bias or information or their own stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, a coach is a blank slate. It's amazing in training that the tools that we're trained in, and then the first thing you're told is that you actually have to do very little because the person is going to bring their stuff and you're guiding. And sometimes you're guiding them forward. Sometimes you're guiding them deeper. You know, one of, one of the fascinating tools I've enjoyed using in coaching is like getting people deeper into their despair, which mm. is a, a horrible thing to hear. How do you do that? Well, you just, you keep holding, our, our natural um, way culturally, particularly as Americans and particularly as people of certain accomplishment, it's like, how are you? I'm fine. It's great. Or I'm crazy. Or it's a little sad. Or some people do go further, but like really going to the edge of the depth or the height, it doesn't, it can be just as positive as it can be negative. Right. To really get in touch with what is down there. And this is where you start to sort of walk up to the line of therapy a little bit. But it is, it's about getting people really in touch with their stuff. And that's a really technical term, stuff. But like getting comfortable with what's not resonating and what's keeping them from moving forward. And sometimes we think it's, oh, you know, I, it was my my father who passed away. And so I'm dealing with grief. That's a very powerful, resonant mm-hmm. emotion mm-hmm. that... A friend could help you with, mm-hmm. certainly, but somebody with a little bit more patience and a little bit more skill will probably dig into like, yeah, you're mourning the death of the father, but at the next level of maybe obviousness, the thing that you didn't do can no longer do with the father mm-hmm. or the thing that 
you still want to do. Like, it's almost like you're getting to the fact that, like, I can still do that thing. I can still, I can honor that relationship by actually going forward with it and not feeling dependent on it. You worked with some very fancy clients, correct? Super fancy. Like, tell us some of the super fancy people that you worked with. Well, my client roster was in... One of my favorites was Aston Martin. I rebranded Aston Martin from in the mid-90s when they were sort of a cheesy car for Arabs and Prince Andrew to now the, you know, it's one of the top 10 brands around and often the coolest UK brand. And that was supremely fun because here's this work of art. It's an entirely handmade car. Right. Why would it ever be considered cheesy? So that's one. I've worked with Coca-Cola. Anybody who's a brander has worked with Coca-Cola. Right. But I, I did have a couple of really interesting times at bat with them. And again, in the theatrical space. So, like, how do you bring Coca-Cola to life in a physical space? Um, I worked a lot with, you know, Claire's was a very fun brand, the little chain. My of, daughter got yes. her ears pierced for the first yes. time there. Uh-huh. Yes. So we have a lot of Claire's jewelry in our house. Claire's was an amazing brand to work for because of that. Your daughter got her ears pierced there. That's such a rite yes. of passage. Yes. And to have a brand associated with that is so Yes, you go magical. to Claire's. Yeah. That's where you go. That's where you go. So after making Claire's the like as magical as Disneyland <laughs> and Coca-Cola, I know it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> It's this amazing drink. It's an amazing you, you drink. You should look out for it. I will look out for it. So what happened? What made you decide to change your goal and, and your work? I found that the aspect of the branding work that I was doing that I most enjoyed was what some people technically called brand strategy. And for me, it was more exploring with those people who owned the brand, the yeah. marketers. like. What does this brand stand for? What does it mean? What do the consumers who are now a community around this brand want from it? And I found those conversations with people to be l- much more human than business hmm. and much more meaningful than transactional or consultative. And yet, the outcome of that work oftentimes was either not fully embraced or misunderstood or depending on which way the wind was blowing for that particular marketer, it would end up sidelined. And yet I really thought it to be very meaningful and valuable work over to your point of friends who give you good advice and hold your feet to the fire. I, I found myself and thought of myself as one of those good friends that could issue tough love and, and move people along. Um, always from a place of caring and compassion. And, you know, it was hiding right under my nose. I had a coach for five years. You did? Oh, yeah. And it wasn't until I was in a place of, like, what do I really want to do when I grow up? Who are the people who are around me and meaningful? How am I contributing to the world in a way that's not helping sell another can of Coca-Cola or Mm -hmm. move another set of earrings off of Claire's rack? I thought helping people achieve outcomes or reach outcomes was compelling and starting with myself Mm -hmm. because I am one of those people that I've had a very successful career. I feel very proud of what I've accomplished and yet it's not what I want to accomplish. So the merging of 
having time on my hands, realizing what was the common thread between all of my interests and needing coaching myself, I became trained and certified as a coach. And it's one of those tools that you can use in everything. I could go back to being a, a great brander and CEO of a branding agency and use coaching till the cows come home with the clients, with my creative teams. I can use it in my own friendships. I mean, it's interesting. Are you using your coaching on me right now? You'll feel it. <laughs> You'll know when you're being coached. In the can. <laughs> I will totally feel it. All right. So let me share with you something my mother said to me recently. Mm. And mm. you tell me, you you tell Helen Levine what you think. So... My mother is 83. Mazel. Mazel to Helen. Eduardo Brown, if when you say mazel, you bring Yiddish to such a like waspy, sexy, crazy <laughs> level. It's ridiculous. Um, you're going to bring Yiddish back. Like if you could bring a new language, like what you did with that car. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm challenging you to bring Yiddish back. Okay. All right. I, the brand extensions are. Already... I want to know how that would work. So my mother said that when she was growing up, the idea of being happy never on the table. Mm-mm. What like in it like what literally like not in the dictionary, not in her lexicon. There was nothing about it. Was survival like post World War II? So. This idea that not only do we want a job, but we actually want the job to be something we love to do right. and bring happiness to us. As a, you know, as an aside, I think my family, my parents' family, found happiness with each other. They mm-hmm. were fortunate. I think it was like a loving, poor family, but very loving. Not everybody even had that, right? Right. So she finds the whole thing sort of hilarious that that's sort of. An important goal, the happiness project, all of these ideas about merging. So we're so spoiled. Are we spoiled or lucky? I think we're certainly lucky. I mean, I don't I don't think that I would ever endorse the idea of being happy as being spoiled. Um, to expect happiness from your job. I don't uh, mean being happy, although for her, wasn't even on the table as the goal. But Right. I think... You know, happiness is one category. Fulfillment is another. And there is, I really do believe that you can, you should find ut, utmost fulfillment from your job. And there's a reason it's called work. Right. It's work. So How are you spelling work? W-E-R-Q, <laughs> otherwise pronounced as verk. Um, How do you say it in Yiddish? Oi. Oi, verk. Oi, verk. You gotta go to work. He's working. He's working at Chavez, Eduardo. Uh, no, that's not working. <laughs> that's not working. That's enjoying. <laughs> and you shouldn't enjoy. Not on the Chavez, no. Um, there's so much research around the value that engaged employees generate for a company. And companies today put a lot of of money and effort towards creating corporate cultures that people identify and feel they belong to. They create programs and systems that help people at work sort of bring their whole person to bear, you know, the whole idea of emotional intelligence as something that managers and leaders need to have. And at the end of the day, in the dollars and cents, companies that have a 
higher level engagement in their employees end up with higher levels of return and profitability on the bottom line. There is a fund that's invested only in companies that are top 100 places to work that right. indexes, you know, three to five percent higher than the mar- you know, the average. You're market. getting very fancy for me, right? Know. <laughs> I know, but it goes back to why should we be fulfilled at work? From right. the business side, it right. makes money, and from uh, happy employees, happier business. Absolutely. And happier employees, happier people, because you don't have eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours of your day dragging you down that you have to come out of when you come home to right. your husband or, or wife. The real ones that you're married to, not the ones you're acting with. See, it circles back yes. to my fake family, my real family. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you something to wrap up this conversation that makes me sad to have to wrap up. Mm-hmm. But I hope it's the beginning of many more. I can't wait. So this is something that my coach asked me in one of our earlier conversations, I think is a way to get to know me. Mm -hmm. Um, And she asked me the question and she asked me not to censor myself and that whatever I answered on Tuesday, it might be different on Wednesday. And the question was, if you were about to walk on stage and do a TED Talk right now, what would it be? My TED Talk? Mm Mm-hmm. If I were to walk on stage right now to give a TED Talk, I would give a talk about coaching and fulfillment. Well, what's your experience of coaching? What's it been so far? It has been, for me, a lesson in patience. Mm. When I pay a lot of money for something, I like a result right, right away. Yeah. Right away. We, had it, we talked for an hour. Where, where's the check? She has the check. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. Right. But I have to say, it was a decision on my part. I was going to get Botox. Mm. I was going to try Botox or a life coach. That's often the the binary choice. Is it? Most people come with it. So I thought for the same amount of money, because it would kind of be about the same amount of money based on how much Botox I would need. Um, so what I decided so she's doing to do. It for free. <laughs> oh my God, yes. I decided to cut bangs mm. into my hair for free myself and get a life coach. Interesting. So but, far, so good. You know what's fascinating? And I know we're sort of now meandering, yes. but there's that paradox or that kind of continuum of Botox and coaching is actually says a lot about when people come to coaching and it's because they are when their face is falling, (laughs) when their face is falling, when time has passed, when, you know, a lot of times people in their forties find themselves the furthest away from their expectations and the reality of their life. And when you're in your twenties, that distance doesn't really matter. In your 30 years, you're distracted because it's moving forward. In your forties, it starts to become very, very apparent. A lot of times people come to coaching because they want things to happen quickly. They want to make up for that lost time or they want to like get on with it. And the patience with coaching is that it takes, you've got to let some time pass between sessions because Yes, while you want to be getting on with something and make a hundred of these podcasts, you're also finding your way through or back or to new things or things that you put to one side low those many years ago. But it's not like you just pull it off the shelf and off you go. So I love this idea, the Botox to coaching continuum of like, where are you in the sense of urgency or momentum towards achieving something that you've kind of let linger for a long time. Well, 
it's starting. It's starting. Which is amazing. It's, it's started. It started. We did it's it. It's done. Yeah. I want to thank you, Eduardo Branoff, so much for being here today. I want to thank you, Alana Levine. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.